Thanks, Matt. Should have probably put a little Purell on, shouldn't I have? <clears throat> oh, well. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't get to say earlier, I know that this situation uh, in our country and in the world right now is harder on some people than on others. And uh, for some of us, we have had to completely change our routines. But for others, I know that this means loss of income. It can mean uh, uh, further isolation. So uh, I just want to let you know that we're thinking about you, we're praying for you, and we want to lean on one another during this time. We want to be able to, to care well for one another. Uh, you know, I, I don't know any more than any, all of you about how long this is going to go on. Uh, there are moments we don't feel like we understand our circumstances. We don't feel like we understand uh, what's going to be happening, why things are happening. And, um, and you know what? That is in normal life and not just during a time of pandemic. For many people, there are times when uh, our feelings, our circumstances cause us to wonder whether God is distant or maybe even there at all. So when we in the church speak about God's faithfulness, maybe it doesn't feel like it's our present reality. This morning, we're going to have a glimpse of where one person was able to see God's faithfulness and um, in his own life, but we're also going to be able to draw from that some of the larger implications for God's faithfulness in history. And my hope is that from this, you and I will be able to trust more fully in God's faithfulness in our lives, maybe especially in those moments where we don't feel like it's there. Uh, this is the fourth and final installment in the often neglected book of Haggai. And the reason why we have spent four weeks in this book is because uh, there's a natural four-part structure in the book of Haggai. And in four different places, the, the prophet uses a formula. He says, on such and such a day, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And so we have broken it in each of those places where he did that. And ancient literature, like this book, often has a beautiful structure. In this case, the first section was a challenge to the people to be working on the temple. In the second part, there's an encouragement and a vision for people for the future. In the third part, there's a, that's the one that Pastor Matt talked about two weeks ago. There's, again, a challenge for the people to consider their holiness. And so it's gone challenge, encouragement, challenge, and now in the fourth part, there is a final encouragement. There's also a formula throughout the book where God speaks to the governor, Zerubbabel, and to the priest, Joshua, and to the people. And the first message went specifically to Zerubbabel and Joshua together. The second message was intended for the people. The third message was specifically for the priests, and of course, certainly Joshua would be included. And now, without even looking at our passage, who do you think the last vision is going to be for? And of course, it's aimed, again, at this governor, Zerubbabel. It's a short passage. Let's read together Haggai 2, 20 to 23. So um, Haggai is the third to last book in the Old Testament. See if you can find it. It is before Zechariah and Malachi. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. 
On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will, t- I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to open up our hearts and our minds to your word today so that we may understand it and we may be able to do it well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, years before, uh, the kingdom of Judah had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And when the Babylonians invaded, the king was, of course, deposed. And some of the people were taken into exile, but specifically the nobles. And this guy, Zerubbabel, was the grandson of Jehoiachin, the final king of Judah, before the people were taken into exile. In in this book, it calls Zerubbabel the governor of Judah, but he is also a potential heir to the throne. He is also the descendant of the great King David, the king who was delighted to serve God and to whom God had made some amazing promises, namely that the kingship would remain with the house of David forever. But there's a tension in the larger biblical narrative, because if you've read the books of Kings and Chronicles, which maybe isn't your favorite thing, but it's, they, those tell the story of the lives of the kings. And, and what stands out to any reader of these stories is the repetition over and over again, this, this terrible short phrase where the king's life is summed up with, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Over and over again. So if, if the priests instituted by God, were supposed to direct people to right worship, right understanding of God, right understanding of themselves, then the kings were supposed to represent God's way of governing. With, he's supposed to do it with justice and humility. But we have seen from the history coming up to this point that as the people had, the people had left behind their faithful obedience to God, not only in their temple worship, but over and over again, the kings, they, they, had, they reflected the people's cold heart toward God and further turned the people away from God by the, the laws and the practices they did. So this time of exile saw the destruction of the temple and the dethroning of the king. And it seemed like the end of the temple worship and the end of the kingly line. And the people could be excused for wondering if maybe, maybe God had given up on them. And the king or this descendant of the king could be excused for wondering if God had maybe moved on to someone else. And Zerubbabel may have even known about what God had said in Jeremiah 22, 24, where God says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, this is his grandfather, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, if you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would pull you off. It looks to everyone, maybe, like God has done with this line of kings. So the evil of the kings was undeniable, but the promises that God had made to David were clear that his line would continue. And so the psalmist in Psalm 89 wrestles with these two realities, the the situation that was before us and what God had promised. And so I want to ask you to put your finger there in your Bible and um, in Haggai and flip over to Psalm 89. Here the psalmist says um, something like, God, you made some amazing promises to your king and to your people. Don't you remember what you said? Psalm 89, verses 28 to 37. 
I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. This is to the line of David. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail, and they f and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. So the psalmist says, in effect, God, you, God, you, you promised these things, but it, gosh, it seems like you've forgotten us, and like you've forgotten your promises. Continue, uh, verse 38. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been angry with your anointed one, you have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust, you have broken through all his walls and reduced his stronghold to ruins. The psalmist is turning to God with tears in his eyes, looking at the situation in the city where they had been taken off to Babylon and saying, God, how can both of these things be true? And one of the conclusions that Zerubbabel might come to is that maybe it all got pushed a bit too far. Maybe God had passed his breaking point where God decided that that was enough with them. Maybe someone else from David's line somewhere else, and, but not from this kingly line. And it's in this context then that God speaks to the prophet Haggai. You can turn back to Haggai. The, the exile into Babylon of course, was a huge event. And we can't underestimate the devastation that this represented for the people. But in, the short, in this short book that we've got here, we've already seen that God has reaffirmed his faithfulness to his people and has already promised to bring back his presence to the temple and reestablish a life where he can be back at the center of the people's daily uh, living space and in their daily walk and now, at the very end of this book, we see that God is also reaffirming his commitment to the line of David. Well, how? First, he, he begins by restating what we saw in the second message at the beginning of chapter 2, where God is going to shake the world. This means that God is going to change the basic structures of the world. And he gives an, an image of overthrowing chariots and, and their drivers and the horses and riders, which reminds us of when God's people left from Egypt and when they were coming into the promised land for the first time. In the account when they left Egypt and passed through the Red Sea in the book of Exodus, several times it repeats that phrase, how God did away with Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen. That, that echoes in the mind of somebody who knows that Exodus story. And this evocative imagery says to these people that, that their time of coming back now from Persia can be like a new exodus, a new time of coming into God's promised land. And then God uses this image of the signet ring, the, the very image that God had spoken to Zerubbabel's grandfather, saying that if he's like a signet ring, he's going to take him off. But now he says to Zerubbabel, I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Wow. 
A signet ring is a, a special ring that bears an emblem or has the initials of the, the person uh, to, to verify that a message was coming from the right sender. A, a person would use their signet ring as a, as a form of encryption, I guess, to, to press this thing into a wax seal that when the other person at the other end got it, they would see that seal and say, ah, oh, that's authentic. It would authenticate the message. And, and God's intention was that the kings of his people were to govern like he would. They were supposed to be like a signet ring, proof and authentication of God's rule. But they had proven to be pretty bad failures. And God had said that he was taking the signet ring off. So we can imagine how these words would have had weight, how that they would fall on Zerubbabel's ears when he says, I will make you like my signet ring. So what seemed maybe if you were reading this at home like a confusing statement all by itself takes on a huge significance in the text. Uh, I, I think, I, hopefully this isn't too goofy, but I think about uh, the end of like a Hallmark movie where um, somebody's hurtful ex has complained about something about them, some trait that they have, and eventually that, that person perseveres, and I don't know, they end up getting that degree or overcoming some big thing. And then the person who ends up presenting them with some award at the end commends them with that very same phrase, uh, saying, oh, you're like this, and it ends up being this great redemption. And so for Zerubbabel, he, he hears the same words that had been like a curse to his grandfather, now given to him as a blessing. And God in this is proving himself faithful. So the temple is in the process of being rebuilt. The descendant of David is being encouraged by the words of God. And the years of difficulty and the tears that they have been through are now changed. God will prove himself faithful. But we have to recognize there were years of exile, terrible years. Zerubbabel's father lived his whole experience in exile. That did not mean that God had left his promises. Because sometimes the arc of God's work is longer than we would like. But he is at work. We, we want to rush it. But God is at work. I think that there are at least two main implications for God's faithfulness for us on a personal level. And then there's a, a cosmic implication as well. So on, on a personal level, this has got to be encouraging to Zerubbabel. He's in the midst of huge changes and wonders what the days ahead will bring. Will he be able to navigate this touchy political landscape? And, and more importantly, in the, in the summary of his life, will the future people, what will they say about his reign? What kind of king will he be? Zerubbabel was being pushed into this whole new reality. But in that moment of tension, God speaks a word of encouragement to him, and he, he reminds him of his future plans. He reaffirms that he's committed to his people and to his servant David, and that Zerubbabel is part of that plan. So maybe you aren't standing before the ruins of a temple tasked with leading a people, but most of us are able to relate in some way with Zerubbabel. We're, we're faced with this big task, and we're wondering what's going to come of it. And, and I'm not just talking about figuring out what you're going to do with your kids this week or how you're going to organize your week. 
I'm also talking about the bigger issues for us as a church. How can we be a, a missional witness in an increasingly secular society? Uh, how can we be people of hope and faith uh, when it feels like uh, God is a, uh, uh, needs to be dusted off for some people? When we hear God's words of affirmation to Zerubbabel, we can begin to believe not only does God have a big plan and that he's faithful to his people, but he also knows how you and I tick. He, he knows that when we are facing moments of trial or difficulty or suffering, that we maybe begin to ask the question about God's love and faithfulness. And so God spoke that word to Zerubbabel at this right moment. And we as Christians have words of encouragement as well that, that God can speak into our hearts. Paul, speaking to the people facing sufferings and difficulties in the book of Romans, says this, chapter 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can begin to believe these words when we have seen how God has been faithful to his people in the past. It, it, when we see that God has done that in the past, we're able to believe that he's going to be faithful to his people in the future. But even with all these powerful metaphors, at the end of the book of Haggai, there is this enormous cliffhanger. In a lot of French films, uh, if, for those of you that know me, you know that I lived in France for quite a while. And uh, in French films, movies end very differently than American movies. Uh, sometimes in French films, they even end with the bad guy winning. That's, it's like the worst thing ever. <laughs> or maybe they have very little resolution. I, I saw a movie once where there was this doctor who moved to the countryside, and he adjusts to life in a small town. He, he ends up um, getting used to life there. He, he meets this lady, and he likes them, and then it just ends. And you're like, wait, what happens? It, it, it doesn't tell you. It just, it just ends. And I guess the, the benefit of it is that it does lead to conversations afterwards. You can say, oh, this is what I think was most important. This, was, um, this is what I think is going to happen. And French people can bristle a little bit, though, when they um, think about American cinema, partly because they think, I think a lot of my French friends can be a little dark, a little bitter, very good chocolate, but especially compared to Americans who tend to be very optimistic. It was funny for us to learn in, um, after we'd been in France for a little while that they have a, a term for the end of an American movie which they call le happy ending, the happy ending. So they say that's how American films wrap up. They wrap up all the loose ends, the hero wins, we have great resolution, the world is made right. It's so great. And in fact, when I was, I was trying to think of an illustration for this, uh, I, I had a hard time thinking of films, American films, that don't have good resolution. There are a few. Uh, if you've seen Inception or Shutter Island, both of those are Leonardo DiCaprio movies. I don't know what to think about that. Anyway, just make of that what you will. Uh, but these films can cause a buzz because at the end we wonder, what is going to happen next? What, what happens at the end? And we have the same thing here at the book of Haggai. The book ends with God making this promise to Zerubbabel, and we are left with this big question mark. 
is Zerubbabel the one who would lead the people the way that God wanted? And would he be the Messiah, the one who would usher in this new period of peace and transformed hearts? I mean, he's building the temple. He's the king. Will the people be changed because of the exile? Will it do anything? Will this fresh start bring any lasting change? And there's no answer. It just leaves us hanging. We have to look forward into the book of Zechariah and Haggai, Malachi to begin to see what happens there. But of Zerubbabel, we don't really learn that much more. He seems to more or less disappear from the scene. That is, until he reappears later in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. You see, the problems that had been present in the people, the situation with their hearts being distant, would not be resolved just with rebuilding the temple, as great as that was. And the problems of the kings of the past were not solved with this one man, Zerubbabel, even if he's a good guy. Because even the, these promises made to Zerubbabel couldn't really be completely fulfilled in him. And they were carried over to later. God was demonstrating an even larger, more cosmic faithfulness. The the New Testament presents Jesus as the perfect priest for his people and the temple itself, but he is also the true king. This king would not, he would not be like the other kings. He would be the true signet ring of God where God's words would be authenticated by this king's leadership. When we see Jesus acting, we know what God would do because we see it right before us. In Christ, we see the true and right king. He's the one who was in the line of David and who would not only call on his people to do away with their false gods and challenge them to make the true God the center of their life, but he would go further. Rather than than trying to thread a delicate political life and landscape, Jesus Christ clashed with the big political systems and religious systems And even more, he faced down the forces of darkness on the cross. He faced off with the dark powers of the world and even the spiritual forces of evil. Uh, During this time of stress over COVID, we have seen some beautiful, beautiful expressions of selflessness. And they they all seem more wonderful when they're contrasted with uh, images of greed or darkness. People who are donating food, uh, nurses who are at work doing heroic things. And we've heard some good things. And I think all of those things point to the act of selflessness. The, The true king who comes now to tie up all the strands that God has been preparing from all time in a true act of self giving love to confront the powers of darkness on the cross and do away with it. The death and resurrection of Jesus and the the movement of the people that flow out of it is the fulfillment of what the book of Haggai has been aiming at all along. God is bringing together a faithful people of priests under one priest, under one good king, people who are transformed by God's work in history and who are now beginning to see his faithfulness in their lives. Well, what does this mean all for me? In our day-to-day lives, we are kind of stuck with the same cliffhanger. Is God going to be faithful? 
there are times and circumstances which might lead us to wonder if God is still around. And we can pray fervent prayers like Psalm 89 and say, God, how is this possible? Maybe you are in a difficult place. And one real application for you can be to, to turn to this faithful God and engage with him in prayer, even an honest prayer. God, this doesn't seem right. Church, we are also God's Christ's body here on earth. We are meant to act like God's signet ring. We give authenticity to Christ's message. And there's a real possibility of of difficulties in the days and weeks and months ahead. And we need to prepare our hearts then to follow our king and battle the darkness and instead choose to embrace true self-giving like our king. And finally, in our passage, we see that God is working out his purposes in the shaking of kingdoms. God is even at work, even in the shaking. And as things shake around us, there is a chance for us to recommit on the adventure of faith. Uh, Faith feels more adventurous right now than maybe it did a month ago. We have no idea what's up ahead. We have to lean on God's faithfulness, both in times of trouble and in times of joy. But for as difficult as this time is or might become, I believe that this situation can be an adventure, and it presents us with new opportunities for growth as people, growth as friend groups, as families, as we, count, as we walk with our faithful God. God brought pain, it was painful, but God brought positive change out of the exile, and he can bring positive change out of this. God will prove himself faithful, but sometimes the arc of God's work is longer than we would like it to be. I want you to imagine right now life after all this is over. What do you think God will have wanted to grow in you? What does God want to grow in you? I I want you to write down what is one or two things. Why don't you go ahead and write in the comments right now. What is What are one or two things that you think God might be pushing you or our church to grow in during this time? How do you think he might use this in a positive way? Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we uh, are... uh, confused maybe, and this is a a, a tough time, and we maybe can understand a bit about how Zerubbabel may have felt, wondering about what was up ahead uh, of him. But we are grateful for this little book of Haggai, which has pointed us to your faithfulness, your work in the world, even if that arc is longer than what we expect. I pray that for us as believers, that as we we can live in this tension of the promises you have given about uh, how you are making all things right, but we live in the tension of now where there is still war and famine and there is brokenness and disease. There is abuse and terrible things around us that we know uh, are not the way that you made it. So we turn to you, God, and ask for you to come and make things right. We We know that you are a faithful God. I pray that I and all of us who are watching, that we can live in the tension of this moment, believing in your faithfulness, and that that will manifest itself in real actions today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, thank you, Kurt, for those words, and um, thank you for leading us through this time and through this passage and really taking the truths of the scriptures and uh, applying them to what's really going on in our lives right now. Um, we're going to step into a time right now of offering, um, and I know this looks very different. There are no buckets to pass. There are no people to, uh, you know, jab next to you or anything like that. Um, but we've got uh, areas to give that Matt's talked about earlier in announcements, but we've got in the comments section, uh, there will be a link um, to our online giving platform. Um, there should be a number that'll come up that we can text to give. And then another one, just if, if you'd like to give, but technical things are not your thing like me, and you'd like, um, if you'd like us to get envelopes to you, uh, to your home, we can we can provide you with those. So um, we're going to step into this time of giving. I'm going to pray for it real quick. Uh, and then as we sing this next song, uh, I encourage you to really take this time to reflect on the words that Kurt has just brought um, on the ways that God is moving in your life, um, is encouraging you to give, whether it be financially or whether it be